Hi, this is your host, Pete Bloom. Welcome to American Heroes Network. Our core mission is serving the brave men and women who have sacrificed to ensure our freedom. You will hear true stories from those that have served, learn about veteran organizations and resources, and gain hope for your future knowing American Heroes Network, your community, and other veterans are here and at the ready to serve and help you and your family. We will talk about the hard topics like PTSD and TBI. You will also hear military history, inspirational stories, learn about networking with the community, and more. So come join us and be part of our family. Today's guest is an active duty Chief Warrant Officer 2 in the Army and was the company commander of the Military Intelligence Corps Band. He now holds a role as a research analyst for the U.S. Army Band program. Through research, he wants to show how music impacts soldiers. I would like to welcome Chief Warrant Officer 2, Jonathan Crane. John, thank you for serving, and how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Pete. Thanks for having me on. So, John, you talked about working at the intersection of music, science, and media. And I think we both feel that music is therapeutic and beneficial to health, happiness, and healing. But you're on a mission to prove it. And I look forward to talking about this today. But first, we would like to get to know a little bit about you. So, can you tell us about your military career so far? Like, where you're from? When did you join? Why did you join? And what did you do in the Army prior to being in the band? Sure. So, I've been in the Army for about 10 years now. I joined in 2009 and originally as enlisted. I'll talk about Army bands mostly here because that's what I'm in. When you join an Army band, you have to take an audition before you're allowed to enlist. So I had to have a special recruiter come to my house who's a musician in the band program already and would give you standard kind of musical assessment that you would get if you're going to university or something like that. And once you pass the audition, then you're allowed to apply to the Army proper through a regular recruiter. So I went through that whole process. For me, it was really about I had just started a family. I had completed my master's degree and an advanced degree beyond that called an artist diploma and feeling the crunch of not having full time work. So the gig economy, as they call it now, my wife and I had just had our first daughter and we were living in Center City, Hartford, Connecticut. and at the time where we were, we didn't feel it was appropriate to raise our child in this way. And we wanted to find some kind of stability. And for me, I always knew that military bands existed. That was something you could do as a musician. So for me, it was a very practical reason to join. I had seen professors in my past who had served, for example, my elementary school music teacher played in the president's own Marine band, which is probably the most prestigious band under President Kennedy and President Nixon. And so knowing that from the very first time I played music and started learning about the craft was from a military musician. He was retired at the time, but so it's something that was always kind of instilled in me at a young age and knew it in the back of my mind. It was something I could do, never thinking I would actually do it, (laughs) but then I did. And so I joined and it's been so wonderful and having so many different experiences And it is a pretty unique career field. And many people don't realize that the Department of Defense is the largest employer of musicians in the world. So we have about 6,000 musicians throughout the Department of Defense. It's all the different services. It's a sole organization to employ that many. It's pretty interesting because music is an essential part of the military. We don't realize it so much. But if you take a look, the Army flag, for example, has a drum on it. It's so much a part of the culture and so much needed for the military that it's almost forgotten about, that it's just a matter of fact that it's there. 
You know, I really didn't know that there was actually that many people that played music in the Department of Defense. That's very interesting in itself. What did you play specifically throughout your career so far? Originally, I'm a bass player. So when I joined, I was to play electric bass in the bands. And my training is in music education and music composition. So as a music educator, you learn to play lots of different instruments and sing and do everything. But bass is the main instrument that I do. And after I did that for a little while in the bands and I decided I wanted to switch over to officer, I decided to change over in 2014. And once you switch over to officer, you don't play as much anymore. So you become a conductor. So you're conducting the band out on ceremonies and doing concerts and then also actually being the commander, being in charge of a team of soldiers to varying different sizes. But you have that kind of dual role as the lead musician, but also as the military commander for that unit. So really, you've kind of done it all when it comes to the band, you know, like you said, from instrument all the way to conducting. Now, personally, you plan on fulfilling a career and retiring after 20 or so years. Is that what you're going to do right now? Yeah, I feel like that's the plan for me right now. It definitely provides a stability that I really appreciate. And after serving for 10 years now and the experiences that I've had, I've really seen the impact that it has on other soldiers and the impact that it's had on veterans. It's pretty humbling, actually. I mean, I've probably played thousands of concerts already in the last 10 years and getting to connect with the community has been really amazing. And I probably never would have gotten to do that if, as if I were a civilian musician, if I just stayed the course and kept doing that, maybe taught at a university or something like that you kind of get into a bubble, you know, only playing for certain audiences and there's certain people you may not reach. And this kind of gets to some of my research of why music's important in the military and especially for veterans. A lot of veterans would not normally go to a opera or they might not go to the symphony or something like that. Um, it's not saying that they don't do that, but a lot of them wouldn't or they aren't even able to get to those places. So for us, it's about connecting with them and providing, you know, obviously our concerts are free, you know, the taxpayers <laughs> pay for the military. So when we go out and play in the public, connecting veterans through that medium of a concert is extremely important. And I've seen firsthand what it does. And when you see lots of veterans come out to a show and then you see the people who may not have that much connection to the military who just like music and they, they come to see a free show and you see them, that's a place where those two communities can come together. Many times that doesn't happen. You know, we have this large, people call it the civ mill gap, right? Uh, a lot of people who haven't served. And because of the generations, a lot of people, hey, my parents might have served because they've served in World War II or they served in Vietnam. Well, a lot of those folks, the generations moved on where we have two generations now where they may not have served because there's such smaller numbers of people who are serving nowadays. So finding these places where there's those connections are being made is really uh, important. And uh, it's one of the things that I'm really passionate about, as you could probably tell. And finding out more about that I've seen it firsthand, but now putting some research behind what are those impacts for the military. So tell me about the Army Bands program that's focused on how music affects people across all domains. After I was the commander of the Military Intelligence Corps Band, I was assigned up here to the United States Military Academy at West Point. And we initially started as just looking into quantifying the effectiveness of military bands. There was a congressional inquiry into how much was spent on bands. 
And I was part of the team that was put in place to respond to that inquiry. And it was gone through the government accountability office. And it started off just that way of just saying, okay, we spend money on this thing and, and now we want to see some quantifiable measures to show what it does for people. And we went ahead and responded to that inquiry and they were satisfied with our result. It opened up the door to a lot more deeper questions just about what music does for people. And so we stood up the West Point Music Research Center to really dig into this long problem. And what's interesting about it is there's already a lot of wonderful research going on across universities across the globe, really. And our first year, two years of digging into it was really just finding out where all that research was happening, what was going on, digging into journal articles and books and things that have happened, finding who's doing the research, reaching out to them and doing collaborations. And so one of the first people that I was able to get in contact with was out at Missouri Science and Technology University. And we were able to set up a project looking into the differences between the live music experience and the recorded music experience. So you go to a live concert, you sit with other people, you experience a band concert, or like in many cases now, we're watching it on YouTube, we're sitting at home, you know, watching a recorded version of a concert. So what are those differences? It's not necessarily that one is better than the other, but that we experience them differently and different emotions might come about. And so we're getting close to completing that project we had about 20 participants in each condition and seeing what their emotions are when certain pieces are played. And so during this data collection, we had the military band play, the army band out there in Missouri, and then we also had the university band play. So it adds another effect to it as well of saying, well, you see an army band play in a uniform and they play something like Stars and Stripes. What kinds of emotions, what kind of feelings does that bring out in people as opposed to a university band who might play a similar march like Washington Post or something else, or even like the national anthem. And does that feel any different to people, you know, the visual aspect of seeing that? So that's what we're digging into. We've already started to see a little bit of that in other cases where seeing a military band do something that has military connotations of it, people have a stronger feeling towards it. They feel more patriotic when a military band plays the national anthem as opposed to, you know, a celebrity or somebody like that, because they see the uniform and we have a very prescribed way of playing it that people have become accustomed to. And they appreciate that very much. Yeah, I think whenever any uh, military unit plays, you know, whether it's uh, the Army, the Marines or whatever, it seems to be very impactful with its preciseness and perfection and just really, really amazing stuff. I've always really enjoyed it. Let's kind of break it down a little bit, though. You know, we're talking about trying to help veterans. And so let's talk about music therapy. John, what does it really mean yeah. and, and how does it work? Oh, yeah, that, it's, a, it's a big question. And what's really great about it is there's been a lot of great initiatives to help military members and veterans with music therapy and music-based interventions. There's a lot of semantics going on with the types of products that are being delivered. So music therapy is very specific. It has clinical outcomes involved with that. So somebody might get assessed. They have a particular condition and they're diagnosed, and then they are given music therapy as a treatment to that diagnosis. And it's delivered by professionals who are trained 
music therapy board certified professionals. So that's a very specific protocol. And what's great about it is there's 11 Department of Defense sites and veterans hospitals that have music therapists contracted there so that both active duty members and veterans can access those services. I'm lucky to be part of a team that's helping to expand on that network so that it's more accessible because there's definitely a shortage right now of trained people who can deliver these types of things. It's a Generally, it's at least a four to six years of training just to get a music therapy degree. There's a lot of uh, practicum involved with it to be able to be board certified. So what's interesting where we're at right now is we're trying to align those contracted music therapists with military bands that may already be pre-existing. Since, like I mentioned before, we have a large network of military musicians. So what would happen when we connect them with those board-certified music therapists to expand on the capabilities so we can offer services to as many people as possible? That's where we're at right now, trying to do that. And it's pretty amazing to see it happen. You know, we've partnered with the National Endowment for the Arts and the National Institutes of Health to be able to expand on this network. And they're partnering with all these nonprofit organizations. They're providing services, both music therapy services, and then just more generalized stress relieving jam session type stuff, which is a little bit more of what I've done in my career, being able to reach out to people. When we talk about it, what's being done and all the organizations that are putting effort and work into doing this, it just makes me think that there's so many people that come back from war and they're impacted for the rest of their life. Has your research shown that music has a health impact on veterans, like especially for things like PTSD and TBI and everyday regular stress relief? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're trying to move into the more robust types of clinical research in some of these, but there's a massive amount of case studies showing, especially for PTSD, of veterans it assists in their recovery when other treatments were not effective. A lot of times it's paired with other things because they'll get a lot of different types of therapies. I mean, they're trying to offer everything right now. I mean, there's art therapy and there's animal therapy and gardening therapy. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff out there because PTSD is such a complex condition that the same thing doesn't work for everybody. But music's been found in in certain cases to be really highly effective in helping those people work through their issues. And one of the things that's really helpful, I think, is being able to do songwriting and performance, being able to come to terms with whatever happened to them in their own way. They're able to work through those issues in a very positive way through music. So being able to write a song and then perform it in front of people it changes their whole world. It changes their life perspective. And they're able to come out and connect with other people where they might otherwise be isolated. And they don't want to deal with the problem, right? It keeps getting repressed and repressed and repressed. And one of my colleagues, she's a music therapist, has been studying for a very long time. She has a special veterans only program. And she's noticed, particularly with the Marines from Vietnam, I love my Marine brothers and sisters, you know, but they're trained very much so to repress things so that they can accomplish the mission. It's so much ingrained in them 30, 40, 50 years later, they're still not able to talk about their experience. But through music, they're able to do that. And they're able to come to terms with what they did and feel good about the things that they were able to do and how they serve their country. 
and look at it from the positive side. So that we're seeing those sorts of things and to hear those stories, it's pretty amazing. And so now we're moving from capturing all those case studies and moving into specific like clinical research into what's actually changing in their brain, what's actually changing when they go through these programs. You know, when you talk about the Vietnam era veterans specifically, I think I can see some of the most beneficial things coming out for those individuals, because like you said, they've kept it repressed. And it's primarily, I mean, you see when they come back, they weren't welcome. People were very hateful. And so I think they had some of the hardest time dealing with things during that era, because I mean, you come back today and there's programs to help you, things to support you and people care. And it was like completely opposite for them. So that particular thing there, I think is just so wonderful and powerful that that's going on. Yeah. I'd like to share a story. I served my first duty station in the army was the 25th infantry division out in Hawaii. And as you may or may not know, they had a very huge role in Vietnam, that particular division. And so I deployed to Iraq for a year in 2011 and so I wear the emblem of the 25th Infantry Division on my uniform. So everywhere we play, when I play concerts and we see, I'd see veterans in the audience, they would see that emblem immediately and they pull me over. Hey, you, come over here, come over here. I served in the 25th Infantry Division in Vietnam. Oh, did you? And a chance for me to engage with them and talk with them. And so that bond that goes across generations they see it in today's soldiers. So I feel very fortunate as an active duty member to be able to connect to those veterans. And that's a way to do it. We don't know each other, but there's an instant bond that happens just through those sorts of ideas. And I think for me, particularly Vietnam, there's a connection there with that, even though no one in my family served in Vietnam. But the fact that just I'm in the same unit that they served in 30, 40 years before, it's very interesting. It's amazing every time it happens. <laughs> That is really amazing. And so you got that symbol, that thing that bonds you together and you guys have something in common that you can talk about. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you wrote a couple articles and I'd really kind of like to talk about those and ask you a couple of things about them. The first one is you wrote an article, it was called Music Bonds Veterans Across Generations, The Central Role of Music in the Military. You talked about the functional use of music in the military, as well as traditional songs in the military for comfort and camaraderie. Can you kind of explain how those shared musical experiences are really vital to psychological and emotional recovery after war? Yeah, absolutely. So over the last 18 to 20 years, especially in this global war on terrorism, what's unique about it is we've been able to take iPods and head Walkmans and laptops and, and people can have massive libraries of music with them. And Vietnam is really where it started, where at least they had radios most of them probably didn't have any kind of portable listening device, but they had a radio so they could listen to whatever was going on. And that continued in the global war on terrorism. What ends up happening is when significant events happen during combat or even during downtime when you're downrange is people identify, they link those songs, whether it's songs that they created themselves or it's popular music, whatever was out there it gets associated with particular events, whether those are positive events or negative events. And when you come to terms with what happened during combat, a lot of times those songs unlock the memory and they can help people come to terms with what happened. And it's a shared experience because a lot of times it's the team that bonded over a particular song, no matter what it is. And there's a lot of interesting stories 
I have a professor here at the academy. He's the head of the chemistry and life sciences department. He was a lieutenant serving in Bosnia, and they actually had a soldier killed under his watch. And coming back from that, and they listened to Knocking on Heaven's Door, Bob Dylan. And that's fully ingrained in his mind forever of how do you come back from that and have to come to grips with losing one of your own or losing someone from your team, having to tell their family, you know, all that stuff. And the music is the soundtrack to that. Some people might say, well, I don't ever want to listen to that song ever again because it has a negative thing. For him, at least, it made it easier to get through the situation. And he thinks on that with fond memories, actually, of that, hey, we were able to get through this and we were able to continue the mission. This music helped us through this difficult time. So I think that's really important. And then down the generations, he can share that, you know, he's a colonel now and he still plays the guitar and sharing that story with his other soldiers as they move on. And so luckily here, like at the academy, we have a cadet rock band. So he sometimes plays with the cadets. So them playing together, so we're officer to future officer, they're sharing some of these stories and then playing the songs together. And I think that's really important. And it could happen with anything. And the same songs aren't going to resonate with the same people. But I think it's when particular events happen and there's something about a particular song that might resonate with certain people. And I think that's where that comes from. And really the idea of moving from, for some people that aren't musicians, it may just be listening to particular songs and that's very impactful for them. And for others who are musicians who want to play, whether it's just strumming a few chords or singing along karaoke style, that means a lot too. So those songs, they can carry across generations. You and me think, and I actually have one example that still sticks in my mind. Being in the Marines stationed at Camp Pendleton, it was a 91-92 time frame. Can't remember which of those two years. But America's Funniest People actually came to the Marine Corps and somehow it ended up being the particular unit that I was in, it was HMLA 367 Scarface, which was a Cobra and Huey helicopter squadron. And they wanted to do something that had to do with the military on their show, you know, honor, respect the military. So what we came up with was uh, we ended up doing I Get Around to the Beach Boys because we got the helicopters and they show the helicopters flying around and stuff like that. But we all sang I Get Around by the Beach Boys while all this stuff was going on and they kept showing a bit different people from the unit. And I've never forgotten that. And I'm pretty sure that anybody in the unit who was there that day that participated in that has never forgotten that. It is a bonding moment with everyone. Yeah, it's really neat. And what ends up happening is, is in our memory, music tends to stick to memories and it gets implanted in the hippocampus in our brains. And so it's deep seated in there in long-term memory. And the music actually helps if you may forget that memory, but the music will help evoke that memory again. It helps it's for easier recall of the memory. On uh, a lot of cases, smells can also do this, but a, a lot of times it's music that'll bring out a memory of something like that. It's really fascinating. One thing that I saw in an article about you was that Military musicians were recently awarded the National Medal of the Arts by the president. Can you tell me about that? That really sounds exciting. Yeah, that was very interesting. So that actually happened just this year. Um, the National Endowment of the Arts awards a medal, typically for civilian musicians and artists of high caliber who've dedicated their life to the arts. So it actually came as a little bit of a surprise 
that the president chose not a specific military musician, but just in general, the military musician, the idea of the military musician. All of us in the community, we were surprised by that. And we was like, wow, this is pretty interesting and amazing. But I think what it does is it helps us connect that military bands, you know, yes, we, our goal is to serve soldiers first. And we are soldiers or, or Marines or we're airmen or we're sailors but that we are also keepers of like an American tradition. There are the symphonies, there's academia that hold music, but in terms of particular American music styles, the history of the United States itself, that we are kind of keepers of that. And I think it reflects that sort of idea of at the very beginnings, the foundings of our nation, that we had military musicians there with our Continental Army that we're keeping the music traditions alive and taking songs from their past from different countries and changing the lyrics, changing the words, changing the melodies a little bit that started. That's what really developed an American sound for particular kinds of music. I mean, people know, you know, like my country tis of thee is God save the queen. It's the same melody, but people would hear it as a very American song because we changed the lyrics and we play it that way. Even at George H.W. Bush's funeral, they sang that song. And I think that getting that award, that's kind of what it's a representation of. We're kind of the keepers of the American tradition in terms of the United States. It's certainly an honor that the military musicians were recognized. And I think it's very, very cool. And I know you have to even think it's more cool because that's your business. So I thought it was definitely worth bringing up. So... You wrote another article called Music Engagement for Health and Wellness Across the Military Continuum. Can you talk about how sound could influence the mind, body, and spirit, and how early in military history music would bring comfort to soldiers who had been injured? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about music therapy before, and if you go to the American Music Therapy Association website, they cite music in the military as really the initial foundings of music therapy. So really started a little bit during World War I, where they would bring music in for convalescing soldiers, but really bloomed in World War II and actually was written down in a military medical manual. It was U.S. Bulletin 187. And this manual prescribed exactly what was expected into a military hospital and how to use music to help soldiers that were recovering feel better. They didn't have the scientific basis behind it. And really, we're still discovering that now. But even back then, they saw the results on the ground. They could say, this soldier is recovering from shell shock at the time is what they called it, or even if they had an amputation or something like that. And just having somebody come in and sing their favorite song, it just brings them a little bit of comfort and even singing along with them as they were. And what's really interesting about this is, especially in World War II, is they had the Women's Army Corps bands, and particularly the women's bands were stationed at hospitals. Since they couldn't send them overseas to the fight where many of the male bands would be sent overseas, the female bands, they couldn't do that, so they sent them to the hospitals. So they were instrumental in really starting this process and delivering music to hospitals. They created very innovative programs. They would make up little musicals and shows. They'd have the convalescing soldiers could be part of the show, even dancing what they were able to dance or just moving around in their chair a little bit. It was really the foundations of what would become this professional field of music therapy. That's kind of where it started. 
the military after World War II sort of lost sight of that. It wasn't really thought of as something that could be done. And it's now finally come full circle back around again where now, oh yes, we're starting to realize this again, that there's this benefit. And then really it goes beyond just clinical medical conditions. So we talked a little bit about just like everyday stress. The idea of just picking up a guitar and strumming some chords to your favorite song can really relieve a lot of the daily stress of being in the military. You know, you constantly see in these polls all the time, like, what's the most stressful job in the world? It's enlisted military. <laughs> That's what it is. It's low pay. It's the very real chance of losing your life. So yeah, it's very stressful to be in the military. And just bringing a small amount of relief from that, it's not a clinical thing, but just being able to play or listen to your favorite song or just be in a jam session, do karaoke, those sorts of things can really be beneficial for folks. And we want to provide more access to that and realize that's something that you can do. I'm constantly amazed how many people I meet that they see that I'm in the military band and they always say, what do you play and all that stuff. And they always tell me, oh, I used to play the trumpet or I used to play the clarinet or the guitar. And I say, why'd you stop? And they say, well, I got too busy or I was never going to be a professional. And I always tell them that really the goal is not to become a professional musician. Very few people will ever do that. It's just the same as not very many people become a professional baseball player or a professional football player. It's the same thing, but we still play catch in the backyard, right? I mean, we still play tag football and things like that. It's the same kind of thing with music is that you can still play and be involved with music as an amateur and get the health benefits from doing that. That's the word I really want to get out to people is that that's something it's so beneficial to do from an early age all the way up into old age as well. I mean, there's nothing like, you know, oh, I'm too old to start. That's not true. You can start anytime and you can get benefits out of it, even if it's just the simplest little thing and just learning one song. It's really amazing. Yeah, you know, and when it boils down to it, you're saying to just do it, but there's people that might just have tried it. They might not necessarily like maybe getting up in front of people, being the center of attention, singing, whatever. And that's where earlier you said that there are so many other forms of this art, for example, painting or whatever. Many other things where you might not have to be necessarily the center of attention in front of a crowd and you can still do these different types of therapies to help improve the quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. I encourage people to try everything. You just have to take that initial step. There's so many organizations there to help with that. You know, at this time that we're in now, we see it even more because we're being asked to be socially distant. And, you know, a lot of the things that I've talked about is about connecting with people in real life, right? Playing together, being close. And we're being told we can't do that right now. And so there's this explosion of people playing together through the internet, through video chat, and just posting videos of themselves, just playing whatever. And there's so many resources out there to learn people posting videos of this is how you play a G chord on the guitar, all that stuff. And so people can still if they want to get involved with it, they can still do it and not feel pressured to have to be in a big group of people at the same time. So talking about that specifically, you know, you already talked about there's a need for creative art therapies. You know, with the pandemic that we're currently facing, do you think that these things can really help now with all the anxiety in the nation? Yeah, it's already helping. 
if you follow the internet at all, or people have seen in Italy, especially people just getting out on their balconies and just singing in mass. So everybody can still hear each other. Everybody's out on their own balconies and just joint singing like that to show that, hey, we're all in this together. Doing that as a group is really amazing. And then you also see through the internet, I mean, almost every major artist, you know, every live concert's been canceled across the globe for who knows how long. And so these folks, because they're artists, they have a need to want to connect with people. And so they're producing videos and a lot of them are very simply made. You know, for example, Yo-Yo Ma has a, a hashtag songs of comfort. You know, he's probably one of the best cellists to ever live. And he's not going there showing off and playing the most complex, crazy cello concertos. He's playing simple songs for certain people. Like he say, this is a song for all the nurses and doctors out there. And it's just a simple song, just played amazingly beautifully. I've even seen folks like John Fogarty from Creedence Clearwater Revival just sitting in his backyard with his dog singing, have you ever seen the rain? And it's so pure and authentic, stripped away from all the recording processes that, you know, make it sound amazing, which is great, but it's also more human. So we're still able to project our humanity through digital means. I think we're seeing that right now, that even though we're not being able to be close to each other in the real world, that we can still project that humanity through the internet. Yeah, I'll say certainly that I think the ability and the technology that we have has really made things great for people to still stay connected. You know, we got to get out there and be positive, have a sense of humor. I mean, I know things are bad when it comes to people dying, obviously. That's bad. Nobody likes that. Makes people sad. But we just got to try to lift each other up. And I definitely do think that music's a, a way to do that. And I hadn't even heard about the thing in Italy that you mentioned. I find that pretty fascinating just to think about seeing or hearing all those people on balconies all singing together at the same time. It's like, wow, you know, that's a community that's coming together for sure. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really neat. I mean, the other thing too is the veterans administration has been really good about expanding their telehealth network. One of my colleagues who works down at the VA center in Florida, she does music therapy through the telehealth system. You know, a lot of veterans are out in like rural areas. They're not able to get into a center and they may not be able to go to a music therapy session. Well, she can do it through video and it's a secure line that she can go through. And, and it's pretty interesting because she told me that sometimes people feel more comfortable even because they're in their own home. They don't want to go to the medical center. They don't want to like have to get in the car and do all those extra things. So they can be in their pajamas in their bedroom if they want. <laughs> And they can do a music therapy session through the video. And she's seen that it's easier for her to connect with them that way, which was really fascinating for me because I would not have expected that. That's really awesome, too. That's really great. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about impacting the lives of the active duty military and you talked about the research that you're doing and that's ongoing and seeing how that really helps them. Have you also been able to see where you've made an impact in, say, the active duty military families or post-service veterans or, you know, just the community? Yeah, I mean, I think in the community aspect, we're still looking at capturing more data so that we can understand the real impact. Because like I said, I have so much anecdotal evidence just from my personal career of reaching out to people. And part of our work here at the Research Center, we do a lot of analysis to social media and looking at comments and when we post videos and things like that and the outpouring of support. It's pretty amazing uh, when we post a video in any of the military bands and people really appreciate that 
and being able to see it. And we do a lot of live concert streams. So for those folks who can't get to a concert for whatever reason, they really do appreciate it. And they're willing to express that through that medium. And so it expands that network beyond just the local folks. You know, we might play at a venue that maybe there's only 100 people there, but we can expand that network to thousands across the United States or globally even. And so what's great about that is getting people to see those comments come in. We look at what we do, what's called sentiment analysis, and we look at what people are saying, and they really are responsive towards the particular themes. Like they might say something like, wow, I really loved your concert. You know, I feel so much prouder to be an American. And your support for our troops means so much to me and so glad you provide this venue for me to do that. There's people out there who want to show their support for veterans. They want to show their support for the active duty. And a lot of times they don't know how to do it or they don't know where to go. And that's just another way for them to do that. And so it's about connecting those people together. Yeah, those are some great comments. I would think that that's just awesome to hear. What advice do you have when it boils down to it, say for active duty personnel, veterans, their families, when it comes to music or even other forms of therapy about how they could really make a positive impact in their lives right now at a time when everyone's home together, schools are shut down, you know, life's anything but normal. How can that help them in their homes to make a positive impact? A long time ago, before the internet and TV and media and all these other things, people would gather around in their homes, their family, and have like dinner music, like parlor music is what it used to be called. And everybody would just share what they could do with each other. And a lot of times we do some things like that. We might play board games or we might play video games or something like that. But getting to a place where we can be in a comfortable environment. Hey, you're with your family. No one's judging you on your musical skills. But being able to do that and share what you have and, and to just try something new. Some people may not have any musical instrument in their house. They may not have a piano or a guitar or anything else. Well, we all have an instrument. We can sing. Every person can sing. And I'm very much on the team of all people are musical, that we have an innate ability to be musical. And that generally what ends up happening is when we're children, we're very open about that. We vocalize and we make sounds. And for some people, they get apprehensive about it as they get older, and then they don't want to sing anymore. They say, well, I'm not any good, or I can't hold a tone, or I can't hear pitch. There's very few people in this world who cannot differentiate between pitches. It's a very rare disease, actually, that there's some people that can't literally do it. Most people can, though. <laughs> Over 95% of people can hear pitches and even if you don't have an instrument, to, you know, you can make a drum. <laughs> you can do all these different things and you can sing together. So that's my advice. When we can't go out, maybe we're not able to go to a music store and buy an instrument or we can't go to church even and sing in choir. We can still do it in your home. You can still get on the Internet and there's millions of videos and resources available that people can connect and start learning to play. A lot of musicians are offering free lessons now, and a lot of the military bands are even doing this. For example, the 78th Army Band in New Jersey, they're offering musical masterclasses for students. A lot of students are out of school right now. 
and they're not able to go to band class and they're not able to go to choir and things like that. And so they're offering that they can connect with them online and get free lessons from a professional military musician. And a lot of groups are doing this sort of thing. So I would encourage anybody to go out there and it's only a Google search away. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny because you mentioned church there. And the thing is, is that even they have the technology now too. So they're holding worship and service online so that people can still be involved and feel like they're coming together in that way. So that's great. When you were talking about being able to do it at home in front of your family, people probably are more comfortable with doing that and willing to let loose. Because like you said, they're not being judged. And personally, I don't know if I could hold a tune, but you made me think of something when you talked about not having instruments. And that was going back to childhood. I think we all have the pots and pans in the kitchen that we could use, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, not everybody's a tinkerer, but I am. I mean, I definitely took the cardboard box and put some rubber bands on it and you can make noise with it. For me personally, I just love sound and I use music in a very broad way. When I just mean any kind of sound to me is music. I put an organization to it. So, you know, when I hear anything, I can hear what's the rhythm to that or what's the pitch to that. So you played spoons? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would get the spoons out and hit them together. In this time that we're in now, just stop and listen. Because you really realize that if you do that, there's so much sound going on. And we tend to block it out automatically. And so if you sit and be calm, you can actually realize how much sound is going on around you all the time that you may not even realize it. The refrigerator makes a strange hum or I hear a dripping, my faucet's dripping. I didn't even realize my faucet was dripping and I can hear it all the way upstairs or something like that. And if it is quiet enough, you can hear your own body rhythms. You can hear your heartbeat. You can hear your breathing going in and out. Your body makes sounds internally. So really, people say, well, I like silence. Really, there's very few places that are truly silent. There's always some sort of sound because your body's making it. So this one's a little personal on you now, okay? Because you mm -hmm. talked about earlier, you said something about the cadet rock band. And because you play so many different instruments and you talked about singing, and you've obviously got a lot of talent that you're being really modest about right now. So have you thought about at some point, or have you and the guys from the band talked about, hey, when I get out of the military, I'm going to start my own band? Is that a thing? <laughs> Are you going to do that? Um, it's a difficult decision for me because I've sort of transitioned. I, I did a lot of that before I joined the military. I played in garage bands and did a little bit of touring and I taught music for a year, high school, middle school level before I joined and I taught private music lessons and all those sorts of things. And I sort of felt at this point in my life that I've sort of given up on being a performer in that way. It doesn't mean I might not want to keep doing that later on in my life, but also that my interest in music lies more in the understanding of it and the communication of sound and music and writing about it, researching it and presenting it in ways so that everyone can understand it better. And I really like the idea of enabling other people. I'll go off on a tangent a little bit. I'll try not to go too long. Since I played the bass, I played many instruments before I played the bass. I played the clarinet and the tuba and a bunch of other things, saxophone. I sort of settled on bass as my main instrument. And I always really liked low frequencies. And really the function of the bass and basically any music 
that's written has some kind of bass element to it. There's some low end thing and it anchors the music. Most people don't hear the bass that well and you don't really, you know, I'm not paying attention to it that much. But if you take it out of the music, suddenly it doesn't sound right. They say, what's wrong with this music? It doesn't, there's something missing. What's the bass? And when you put it back in, people, oh, it feels better to me. And so the role of the bass is to enable the other music to happen. And that's why I gravitated to the instrument so much, because I liked the idea of supporting others and supporting everyone else in the group, whether that was if I was playing rock and roll or if I was playing jazz, classical music, you know, whatever. I've played every type of music there is. I love everything. I played tango music, Latin, everything. And the bass, it has the same function pretty much in all music. It's to make everybody else sound good. You want to make the soloist sound good. You want the drums to groove better. You want to support the vocalist with a nice harmony. So I still love playing the instrument, but I've also moved into this role of idea of how do I enable others to succeed with music? And I think my role in the military is sort of that same role, right? Even as a commander, I relate the same ideas. I'll go back to being a commander of a military band after this assignment. And I really see that as the role of the commander is to enable the rest of the unit to do their job. You need to empower them to succeed. If you do that, then you fade into the background and you're not noticed. But if you disappeared, things might fall apart. So you still need to be there. But you don't have to be the lead trumpet player. You don't have to be the lead vocalist and really putting yourself out there in the forefront. And that's for me, that's, I make that analogy. I think it goes well for me in my life. You know, that's very motivating. And I think you probably have inspired people today to maybe want to pick up an instrument and let's just have a crack at it and see how I can do, especially <laughs> because I can do it at home and in front of my family. And, and if that goes well, well, then we'll see what we can do next. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hope that we can go back to a world where people feel comfortable playing instruments and singing and not feeling the pressure, the burden of having to be a professional because we don't need that many professional musicians, you know, honestly, it's just like anything else. And, it, and it's a lot like a lot of other things that people can do. You can be a, a hobby photographer. No one's asking you to, you know, have your photos on the cover of magazines and on big websites and things. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy doing the craft. I mean, it's the same idea with music. So, John, if people, you know, really inspired, they want to talk to you. How would you like to be contacted if they want to reach out? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Right now, the best way, I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Contrabass47, K-O-N-T-R-A-B-A-S-S 47. I'm happy if people want to email is great too. They can use my westpoint.edu email. So it's jonathan.crane at westpoint.edu. I'm happy to talk about any of these things. Reach out. I mean, I'm here. I always want to learn more. I know there's wonderful work going on everywhere that I probably haven't discovered yet. And I would love to know more about what other people are researching and what their experiences are, especially their stories, hearing stories from people about their experiences with music and especially music in the military. Just wonderful. Well, John, I wanted to really thank you for coming on today. I know obviously you got a job there and there's things that you're doing that are very important and you taking the time to sit down and talk to 
others, veterans, talk about therapy and the things they can do that's beneficial to them. So thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. All right. Thank you, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to keep coming back each week for more great episodes. If you want to talk about something you learned today, if you have questions, or if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, go to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening.